morning, Calvary family. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 49. And as you're turning there, I want to ask you to prepare your heart because I think this morning I'm going to be touching on a topic that could be really painful uh, for some of you. And um, so I just want to ask you to kind of just, just ask the Lord to kind of prepare your heart for what he has for us today. Entitled this message, A Love More Loyal Than a Mother. And we're going to be in Isaiah 49, beginning of verse 13 through the end of the chapter. Now, over the course of my ministry, I've heard the life stories of hundreds, perhaps maybe even thousands of people. And I've heard life stories from people from different nations, different cultures, different contexts, backgrounds. But what they all have in common is that all have sinned and all have suffered. Those two things are the universal reality of life in this fallen world. Everyone's story includes both sin and suffering. But there are some people's life stories that leave you stunned, particularly stunned at how cruel people can be to one another and how horrific the suffering is which can result from human cruelty. I've heard some really horrific things in my time on the mission field and in pastoral counseling. But I think of all of the horrific stories that I've heard, both overseas and uh, in the counseling office, the worst stories are always those in which the harm has been perpetrated by a parent. When the ones who are supposed to love you more than anyone in the world are the ones who are actually inflicting misery and suffering, the harm is great. The devastation which results is the worst that people can experience in this fallen and cursed world. People can be very, very cruel to one another, but when that cruelty comes from a parent, it strikes even harder. Our text from Isaiah chapter 49 is going to broach the topic of parental neglect and abandonment. And so I know that this was going to be a, a very tender, perhaps even very painful topic even to think about for some of you. I think for many, perhaps most of you, though, you had a happy childhood. And so the goal of this message is to increase your compassion for those who have experienced something you didn't and didn't experience what you experienced. I want, if you have had a happy home and a happy childhood, this message should increase your compassion for those who didn't. Now, no one's parents are perfect. No one's. So no one had a perfect childhood. No one had perfect parents. But the vast majority of parents genuinely do love their children. And so no matter how flawed your parents may have been, every parent has their flaws, if you were raised in an intact two-parent home where your parents genuinely tried their best, you have a lot to be grateful for. But for some of us, this message is going to be deeply personal because the deepest wounds we've ever experienced came from a person that we loved so much. So if those wounds are still raw and bleeding or if they've formed ugly scars over wounds that never healed properly, this message is especially for you. Now some of you perhaps noticed that I included myself when I said that some of us will find this message to be deeply personal and painful. Now, I occasionally share some aspects of 
my personal story in private context when I feel like it would be helpful to someone. But I don't share it typically, at least not in, in detail, in public context, because it's a sensitive, still a sensitive topic for those I love and because everything I say is put on the internet and there for public consumption. So I don't really talk about it much uh, from the pulpit for sure. But I do want those of you who have a deeply painful past story, I want you to know that while I can certainly never understand what you went through because what you went through is different than what I went through, I have gone through some deeply painful things in the area of family hurt and tragedy and the Lord has used those experiences to increase my compassion for others whose stories include deep family hurts. So I just want you to know that this is something that, I, I, that resonates with me personally. And our text for this morning is Isaiah 49, verses 13 and following. And what I want to do is just spend the first part of the message with a brief survey of this important passage. But then I want to spend the majority of our time with a particular focus on the amazing comfort which verses 13 through 16 can provide for those who have suffered deep family hurts. So I want to begin just kind of by reminding you of where we're at in our study of the book of Isaiah. Chapter 49 can roughly be divided into two sections because there's a sharp contrast and a thematic transition which appears right in the middle of the chapter. In verse 13, the Lord speaks words of hope, and in verse 14, the people speaks wor- speak words of doubt. So you have this contrast between the Lord's words of hope in verse 13 and the people's words of doubt in verse 14. Look at those verses together, verses 13 and 14. First, the Lord's words of hope. Shout for joy, O heavens. Rejoice, O earth. Break forth into joyful shouting, O mountains. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. Those are the Lord's words of hope. Now, notice that the people respond with words of doubt. Verse 14. But Zion has said, the Lord has forsaken me and the Lord has forgotten me. And so this is a key contrast and it's a transition between the messianic prophecies in the first half of the chapter and then the people's response of doubt and then the Lord's response to their doubt in the second half of the chapter. So we've broadly outlined the chapter in the following way. In verses 1 through 13, Messiah's deliverance is announced and in verses 14 through 26, mankind's doubts are assuaged. So deliverance is announced and then their doubts are assuaged. And One of the primary doubts is whether or not the Lord really cares. So last time we studied that first section where Messiah's deliverance is announced, we studied the 12 Messianic prophecies which occur in the first 13 verses of the chapter. And so today we're going to be studying verses 14 through 26 in which doubts about the Lord's love are assuaged. So I want to read again verses 13 through 14 just to really kind of ingrain them in your mind, right? Verse 13 says, Shout for joy, O heavens. Rejoice, O earth. Break forth into joyful shouting, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people and he will have compassion on his afflicted. This is great and glorious news. But apparently it was difficult for the people to believe because they respond by saying, no, the Lord has forsaken me and the Lord has forgotten me. There's nothing to be joyful about. 
This is a, a tragic response, right? We have 12 glorious and joyous messianic prophecies and the people respond by saying, nope, we don't believe the Lord really cares. We don't believe he's gonna keep these promises. He's forgotten us. He's forsaken us. We're abandoned. We're rejected. There's no hope. He's forgotten me. You didn't notice in verse 14, that the word Lord appears twice. It says, the Lord has forsaken me and the Lord has forgotten me. Now, in most of your English translations, the first instance of the term Lord is in all caps. That's to signal that the Hebrew term there is the covenant name of God, Yahweh. And then the second instance of the word Lord is in small letters, which is to indicate that that is the Hebrew word Adonai. So to kind of transliterate, it says in verse 14, but Zionist said, Yahweh has forsaken me and Adonai has forgotten me. And in context, because this is in the context of messianic prophecies, that term Adonai is referring to the Messiah. So the people respond to the messianic prophecies by saying that both God the Father and the Messiah himself had forsaken and forgotten them. They had begun to doubt the messianic promises. They looked around them and things were dark and gloomy. Things were, life was full of suffering and they have these promises about the future and they're basically saying, we don't believe it and we can't receive it. So in verses 14 through 26, the Lord is gonna assuage their doubts. Let's read along beginning of verse 14. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me and the Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Your builders hurry. Your destroyers and devastators will depart from you. Lift up your eyes and look around. All of them gather together. They come to you. As I live, declares the Lord, you will surely put on all of them as jewels and bind them on as a bride. For your waste and desolate places and your destroyed land, surely now you will be too cramped for the inhabitants and those who swallowed you will be far away. The children of whom you were bereaved will yet say in your ears, the place is too cramped for me. Make more room for me that I may live here. Then you will say in your heart, who has begotten these for me since I have been bereaved of my children and am barren and exile and a wanderer? And who has reared these? Behold, I was left alone. From where did these come? Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations and set up my standard to the peoples and they will bring your sons in their bosom and your, daughter, and, and your daughters will be carried on their shoulders. Kings will be your guardians and their princesses your nurses. They will bow down to you with their faces to the earth and lick the dust of your feet and you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hopefully wait for me will not be put to shame. Can the prey be taken from the mighty man or the captives of a tyrant rescued? Surely, thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty man will be taken away and the prey of the tyrant will be rescued. For I will contend with the one who contends with you and I will save your sons. 
I will feed your oppressors with their own flesh, and they will become drunk with their own blood as with sweet wine. And all flesh will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. In response to the people's doubts, God reminds them of his faithfulness to the Abrahamic covenant and to his promises. Josh read to us and talked to us about the unchangeable, unconditional, eternal nature of the Abrahamic covenant. And God is saying, I am going to keep my word. He has promised to deliver them, to restore them, to regather them to the promised land. He has promised that the kingdom of Messiah will be established and will be filled with their descendants. And he has promised to defeat Satan and all of the tyrants who do the bidding of the dark Lord and who oppress his people. He will rescue them from the hand of the tyrant, from the hand of the oppressor. And he will bring them into the glorious kingdom of the Messiah. That's what they're doubting, and he is assuaging their doubts. And so, as we've seen in verse 49, first deliverance is announced, and then doubts are assuaged. God gives a promise, and then he reminds us that he will keep his promise. So I want you to keep that original context in mind, right? These, this is the Lord making promises to Israel and assuring them that he will keep them. But I want to spend the rest of the message focusing on the precious and the powerful words of verses 13 through 16 because I think they reveal here the key to healing a heart which has been broken by family hurts, by family tragedies. Let's read verses 13 through 16 again. Shout for joy, O heavens. Rejoice, O earth. Break forth into joyful shouting, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion has said, No, Yahweh's forsaken me. Adonai has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child? Can she have no compassion at all on the son of her womb? Even these might forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, pay attention, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. For those who have experienced the incredible, loyal love of a devoted, dedicated, and devout mother, this passage should amaze you. Because this text tells you that God's love is even more loyal than the love of your dedicated mother. As wonderful as she is and was, And as much as she did for you and as loyal to you as she was, God's love is more loyal than hers. That's for those who had a devoted, dedicated, and devout mother. You should respond with amazement. This strongest love that I've ever experienced on this earth, this love of my own mother, God's love is even stronger than that. It's astounding. But then there are those who have experienced abandonment or abuse by a distant, disloyal, or even destructive mother. And for you, this verse should be a huge comfort. 
Because this text tells us that the loyal love of God can heal the wounds caused by a destructive mom. The loyal love of God exceeds the love of the best parent and the loyal love of God can overcome the damage caused by the worst parent. So while what your parents did or failed to do in the past is certainly influential in your life, it doesn't need to be determinative. I want to repeat that. What your parents did or did not do in your past is certainly influential in your life, but it does not need to be determinative. In fact, that is a key difference between a Christian, a gospel-centered, and a biblical approach to counseling and the secular alternatives. The secular systems don't have the gospel. They don't have Christ, and therefore they don't have real hope. You see, the secular models tell you that childhood trauma is permanent. You'll never be healed from childhood trauma. So the best that you can hope for is to try to cope with the help of long-term dependence upon expensive therapists and expensive medications. That's the best they have. And I don't fault them that that's the best they have, but that is the best they have. Just doomed for life cope at best limp along with the help of these two crutches expensive therapy and expensive medications and there's a whole industry which profits off of the provision of those crutches in contrast the biblical model offers an entirely different kind of hope the biblical model acknowledges the huge and lasting impact of childhood suffering. But it offers hope for genuine healing through the love of the Father, the wisdom of the wonderful counselor, and the indwelling of the comforter. You see, God has something that no human counselor has, the ability to change and to heal the heart the very soul of a person the comforter the Holy Spirit is called the comforter in scripture he indwells us and ministers with divine power from the inside that's something no human counselor can do and therefore the Holy Spirit can produce fruit which is not dependent upon the circumstances of your past your present or your future the Bible says that the fruit which the Holy Spirit produces through his work within you is love and joy, real joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, the world comes and says, look, if you were abused as a child, you, are, you have a high likelihood of becoming an abuser. See, your past is going to determine your future. You're either going to repeat the crime or at best you're going to be able to cope with the crime 
But you can never be free. You can never have an abundant life. You will always be determined by your past. That's not hope. And that is not what Jesus talked about when he said, I have come to give them life and to give it to them abundantly. And he says, he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. The fruit of the Spirit is the work of the Holy Spirit of God within the human heart. And that means that all believers, every single believer, can experience that fruit and produce that fruit in their lives if they will walk with the Spirit. And that's regardless of what they suffered in the past. It's not like, you know, Jesus says, hey, I've come to give you life and life abundantly unless you had a hard childhood. Sorry, that's not for you. Or, hey, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, unless you had a hard childhood, not for you. No, no, this is for you. This is for you. Regardless of what you suffered in the past, regardless of what lies behind you, the Holy Spirit can produce his fruit in your heart and through your life. And that's incredibly good news. That means there is hope, real, joy-giving hope, no matter how dark the past was and no matter how deep the wounds are. Your future does not have to be determined by your past. We serve a God who changes the heart and who heals the heart. And in verses 13 through 16, the Lord gives us five precious truths which provide hope for those with deep family wounds. Five precious truths which provide hope for those with deep family wounds. Number one, it's a simple statement, but it is profound. The Lord comforts his people. Shout for joy, O heavens, verse 13 says, Rejoice, O earth, break forth into joyful shouting, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people. It's a precious truth. The Lord comforts. The Holy Spirit is called the comforter. This is what he does. You know, Job had some pretty miserable comforters, right? Remember Job's friends come to try to comfort him and all they do is just kind of, you know, poke the wound, right? And I've been a miserable comforter, I'm sure, at times. I'm sure you've been a miserable comforter at times to others. But there is one who is the wonderful counselor. There is one who is the comforter. There is the one who is the heavenly father. And the Lord comforts his people. For example, when we grow weak and weary of the sufferings of this life, he comes and says to our souls, my grace is sufficient for you. You with your past and your hurts. My grace is enough for you, for power is perfected in weakness. I can come into the brokenness, into the weakness, and I can perfect my power through your weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. When we're lonely, he comforts us with words like Matthew 28, 20. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When we're burdened under the weight of a guilty conscience, he comforts us with statements like Romans 8, 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ 
Jesus. That is a verdict which overrules the cruelest statements ever made to you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you've been exonerated by the Supreme Court of Supreme Courts, no lesser court can judge you. The Holy Spirit has given us comfort for every trial and every tragedy and every tribulation of life. And he's given us in his word. That's why Peter says, his divine power has given to us everything we need for life and godliness. The Lord comforts his people. Secondly, the Lord has compassion on the afflicted. At the end of verse 13, it simply says that he will have compassion on his afflicted. He is not indifferent to our suffering. He is a God of compassion. Hebrews says we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with us because he has walked this world and he's experienced its sorrows and its temptations and its suffering. He has compassion on us. Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would be gentle and tender with those who are broken and hurting. Isaiah 42.3, a bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. And we see that throughout the Lord's life, his tender compassion revealed time and time again in the Gospels. For example, Matthew 9.36, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. The Lord comforts and the Lord has compassion. Third, the Lord provided common grace to restrain human depravity. I want you to look at verse 15 very carefully. It says, can a woman forget her nursing child? Can she have no compassion on the son of her womb? This is a rhetorical question. This is designed to astound us. Could it be that the strongest love, the deepest love in all the world, the love of a mother for her nursing child, that she could forget that child? She could, have, she could see the child suffering and have zero compassion for the son of her own womb. You see, the premise of this verse is that it is highly unusual and deeply shocking for a mother to have no care or compassion for her own child. Why is it unusual? Why is it so shocking? And it is because God has embedded deep within the soul of a mom an instinctual and natural love which is the strongest love on earth. There is no natural love stronger than a mother's love. And the natural and normal strength of a mother's love is a good gift, which God has graciously given to all mankind, both believers and unbelievers. God has embedded deep within the soul of every mother a natural and instinctual love for her child for the fruit of her womb. Blessings that God gives to all mankind are what we call common grace. They're given to everyone regardless of whether they are redeemed or not. And one of the 
most precious and important blessings of common grace that God has given to all mankind can be summarized in the Greek term phileo. Now, in English, we have one word for love, and we use love to describe a mother literally sacrificing her life to save her child. That's love. And a tasty hamburger is also something we love. So we just have this one word which means everything from like, that was fairly tasty to like, like this mother literally sacrificing herself for her child. Well, in Greek, they had a little broader depth and understanding of love and they had different terms for love and their term phileo is the term which describes natural love the love which we naturally have for our family and our friends it's the love of a spouse it's the love of a parent for a child it's brotherly love it's the love of close friends And God has graciously given the capacity for phileo love to everyone, even to the most wicked unbelievers. Luke chapter 6, verse 32, Jesus says, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. This is a gift of common grace. It's part of being made in the image of God And even though we are fallen and the image of God has been marred by sin, we still retain this natural capacity for familial love. In Matthew 7, verse 9, Jesus says, What man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf of bread, will give him a stone instead? Or if he asks for a fish, he won't give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, Know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? See, the gift of a natural love for family and friends is a gift of common grace which God has given to all, even the most wicked unbelievers. Have you ever noticed that, you know, it's like, you know, you watch some, you know, like a crime documentary, right? And this guy is like a professional murderer, right? He just like brutally like massacres these people and like kills them with his own hands. He's just this wicked, vile person. And then they interview that guy's children. And they're like, he was a good father. Or you watch these historical documentaries about the, these Nazi guards who were torturing and gassing people in the concentration camps by day and tenderly rocking their own child by night. How can it be? How can it be? Well, it can be. God, as a gift of common grace, has given parents a natural love for their own children. Even very evil people can be quite good parents. In fact, it's even possible In fact, quite possible. happens all the time. It is quite possible for unbelievers not only to be excellent parents, but to be even better parents than believers. There are some believers who are awful parents, and there are some unbelievers who are excellent parents. This is a gift of common grace. All have been given common grace. Familial love, natural affinity, natural love for friends and family. Therefore, unbelievers can have and show just as much or more phileo love than anyone else. 
But here's the difference between unbelievers and believers. Unbelievers can have and show natural, common grace love, but what they cannot have and therefore cannot show is agape love. Because 1 John teaches that agape comes from God through the gospel. If you don't have a relationship with God, you don't have agape love. So while an unbeliever can be an excellent parent who excels, listen, in providing well-being for their kids in this life, they are devoid of the gospel, and so they cannot provide well-being for their children in the life to come. They have temporal love, not eternal love. In other words, an unbelieving parent can have a phileo-type love which enables their children to gain the whole world. A good childhood, a good education, a good house, a good vacation, a good life. But they don't have the gospel. They cannot give their children the words of eternal life. They can help their children gain the whole world, they can do nothing to prevent their children from losing their soul. And so as Jesus says, if you gain the whole world and lose your soul, what good is it? See, unbelievers can be excellent parents from birth to death, but without the gospel, they have nothing to offer their children for eternity. Nothing at all. That's eternal neglect. So, common grace provides temporal blessings, but only saving grace brings eternal blessedness. How does this relate, though, to those of you who have suffered deep family hurts? Here's a key point I want to make about this. For those of you who did not receive the blessings of phileo love from your parents, it's not because anything was wrong with you. Right? That's always the struggle, right? Like, is there something wrong with me? Is that why my dad abandoned me or my mom didn't love me or whatever? Right? Is it something deficient or defective in me? Listen carefully. The reason you were not loved is not because God didn't provide the capacity for phileo love to your parents, right? People sometimes say, why didn't God give me a parent who loved me? And the answer is God did give to your parents this gift of common grace. The reason you were not loved is not because God failed to provide the capacity for phileo love to your parents. They were given the same capacity for phileo love as any other parent. So what happened? Well, sin, Satan, selfishness, or most often, substances, choked out the natural love that God did give them. God did give it. Something choked it out. So people who grew up in broken and abusive homes often ask, why didn't God give me parents who loved me? Why did God not give my mom a love for me? And the answer is he did. He has given every parent an instinctual and natural love 
for their children. This is a gift of common grace. But very tragically, some choose to hinder or even obliterate that love through sin, the works of the devil, selfishness, or substances. Sin, Satan, selfishness, and substances. For example, you never knew your father because you were fathered out of wedlock. Sin, selfishness. That's why your dad may not have even known he fathered you. Your mother who was given by God a deep love for you had that love choked out by drugs, choked out by alcohol. These are the tragedies. It's not because God didn't give it. It's because sin, Satan, selfishness, or substances choked it out. Verse 15 says, Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Now listen to the acknowledgement. Even these may forget. Yes, it goes against everything that God has made a mom to be. It goes against this incredible gift of common grace, the way that God made her to want and long to nurture her child, to be so deeply connected at a level that no one else can understand. And yet even these can forget. The common grace of instinctual family love is given to all, but it can be rejected, hindered, or even destroyed by sin. That is why the fourth truth is so incredibly comforting. The Lord promises covenant loyalty to believers, a love more loyal than the love of a mother. Can a woman forget her nursing child? Can she have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these might forget, but I will not forget you. My love, God says, is more loyal than the love of a mother. Even if your own mother forgets you, God will not. His love is the most loyal love at all, of all. He loves us with an agape love which extends from eternity past to eternity future. It is an eternal love which cannot be broken. That is why Romans 8 says, what can separate us from the love of God? And the answer is nothing. Nothing in the present, nothing in the future, nothing in heaven, nothing on earth. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. This is an unbreakable and loyal love. And that love, beloved, is a love which can heal the hurts of the past, which can give you genuine joy in the present, and which can give you unbreakable hope for the future. So what is the key to healing a heart which was broken when the love of a family failed? And the answer is the eternal, unbreakable, unfailing love of God. I want to read to you a, a prayer that the Apostle Paul wrote down for the Ephesian believers and it is my prayer for you as well. This is Ephesians three fourteen. 
For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. He says, I want you to be able to grasp the mind-blowing love of God. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, amen. That's my prayer for the broken heart. My prayer for the broken heart is that you will be able to understand the love of Christ which is higher than any mountain of, of baggage you have. It's deeper than any hurt. It's wider than anything you've experienced. It surpasses it all. My prayer for broken hearts is that you would know the love of God. But I recognize that those with deep family hurts have a hard time believing that anyone truly loves them. This is the response of Israel. Verse 13 says, God has comforted his people. He has compassion on his afflicted. They're like, no, 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 nope, I'm abandoned, forsaken. No. I can't believe it. and My heart can't receive it. It's hard to believe that anyone truly loves you if your own mom didn't or your own father didn't. You know, once a glass has been shattered, even if you try to pick up all the pieces and glue them back together, you're going to have a hard time making something that can hold water. It's hard to believe and receive the love of God. So you can listen to me talk about the loyal love of God, and your mind can even acknowledge the information, but your heart can struggle to believe it, and your heart can have a hard time receiving it. So what is it, what is it that can penetrate that scarred over wound? What is it? What is it? And that's the fifth point. The Lord has proven by the cross that he loves you. And this can cut through the scars and lance the wound and apply what the scripture calls the balm of Gilead. Look at verse 16. Behold, pay attention to this, the Lord says. I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Written seven centuries before Jesus died on the cross, the Lord here reveals that the ultimate proof of his loyal love would be something that is inscribed or engraved on the palms of his hands. Now, to inscribe something is different than writing it. 
Ink can be erased, but an inscription is permanent. An inscription is permanent. You engrave something or you inscribe something when you want what is written there to be permanent and unchangeable. Never to be erased, never to be modified, permanent forever. How do you inscribe or engrave something? Well, you take a sharp metal object and you pierce the surface. And you make a permanent mark. This text is saying that a sharp metal object will pierce God's hands and engrave something upon them. And notice what is engraved on the palms of God's hands. It doesn't say that your name will be inscribed. It doesn't say something about you will be inscribed. It says that you will be inscribed. You yourself will be inscribed on his hands. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. This is highly unusual, highly specific, and deeply personal language. And this was revealed by God to the prophet Isaiah seven centuries before Christ to begin teaching us us about the doctrine of union with Christ. When you are united with Christ by faith, his death for sin becomes yours and you are forgiven completely and his life becomes yours so that you have eternal life and an abundant life and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is a deeply personal, permanently loyal love for you, for you personally. If you are a believer, not just your name, not just your heavenly destination, but you yourself are permanently inscribed on the nail-scarred hands of the Savior. What is it saying? It's saying that the cross was the proof of God's loyal love, and that love is permanent. And that is what can heal a broken heart. I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. What a love a love better, deeper, and more faithful than the love of the best mom in the world or the best dad in the world. And a love which can heal wounds inflicted by even the worst mom or the worst dad in the world. It is a love proven by suffering. It is a love sealed by blood. It is a love so permanent it is inscribed on the palms of the hands of our saviors whose nail prints will be visible forever. Find your soul's rest in that kind of love. That is my prayer for you. Lord, I know I've peeled back some tender wounds, the band-aids over some tender wounds. Lord, I pray that you would do what I cannot, what no human words can do, but what the indwelling work of your Holy Spirit can do, which is to apply the balm of Gilead, the healing power of the gospel to broken hearts. Heal those broken hearts, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna invite the men to come and serve the Lord's table. And as they come and serve, some men just come and begin serving. As they serve, we have a time of reflection. And I think because of our text this morning, this is gonna be the time for you to do some heart work, hard heart work. I want you 
to ask yourself, have you refused to believe in the loyal love of God? Have you refused to receive it? Have you not allowed the great physician to apply the balm of Gilead to that wound? And then secondly, is there someone that you need to forgive? Spend some time in contemplation.